this episode. He's back. Well, I've had a, a five-week outback adventure. COVID, border closures, etc., etc. We did cross the Simpson Desert. I've fallen in love with the desert. We need to get back to our knitting and tell a story and, and do what we do. Neo-Nazis would march every year on his birthday. The uh, anti-fascists would arrive. Oh, the first thing I liked is it made me laugh out loud. Great idea. Like, rather than fight it, go the other way. Flipping the script. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. He's back. He's We've, back. That's right. It's great to have you back, Mark. Uh, you better tell our listeners. I, I, I've given them some sneak peeks of, you know, where you are, where you've been and whatnot. But why don't you uh, give them the thumbnail? What are you up to, man? Well, I've had a, a five-week outback adventure. So... Uh, for the last year, uh, uh, a small group of friends uh, have been planning a trip across the Simpson Desert in the in center in the center of Australia, and so that's what we've been doing. Now, it wasn't the trip that we planned because there was a, you know COVID border closures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it was a fabulous trip because we achieved the objective. We did cross the Simpson Desert. We just had to do it a completely different way, completely different way of getting there, completely different way of getting home and, and uh, adapting along the way. So it was like it was just a terrific experience. And I have to say, I've fallen in love with the desert. Is that right? Oh, just being man. out there, camping out and under the stars, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, and I must say that we... We planned it. One of the guys has been on the been out in the Simpson Desert before, and he said we have to go at a time when there is no moon. So uh, I did the calculations, and so we, we, the whole time we were traveling, the moon was rising at about one or two a.m. So anyway, is that because so the stars are brighter? Exactly, the stars were incredible. Wow! Um, and I sent you a picture of a of the night sky photo. I took a Chambers pillar, and. Uh, was was stunning. Anyway, hey, so we should we should put that picture in our show notes, Mike. Sure, sure. Okay, uh, that is that is a National Geographic level, I thought. So uh, check that check that picture out. Uh, okay, so we're going to get back to this idea. Now we we sort of gone off track a little bit, you know. Mike and Mike and I were rabbiting on about things, and uh, Itchy got on there, and yeah, like so we, we've done uh, you know sort of an expanded version, I suppose, in in some sense. We need to get back to our knitting and tell a story and and do what we do. Okay, uh, so I've got one for you because uh, I know you've been busy. You haven't had a chance to get your head around, uh, you know. What's the next story? But you'll be up next, no doubt. Um, so this one, this one is about a little germ, a little town in Germany. Um, it's called uh, probably Wunsiedel. Wunsiedel. It's right in the middle of Germany. Um, uh, so you know, almost like halfway between Berlin and Munich, I would say. Um, but back in uh, 2014, uh, this little town sort of had a problem, right? And the problem was that. For, for a number of years, Rudolf Hess had been buried in this little town. I think it was his birthplace. And because of that, neo-Nazis would march every year on his birthday, right, in August, 17th of August. And, you know, this caused some problems. Um, you know, what would happen is the, if you like, the uh, anti-fascists would arrive uh, to uh, have a, 
have a bit of a beef beef with the uh, neo-Nazis and it'd be on for young and old in this little town. And, of course, the townspeople weren't very happy about that. They liked their, their sort of quiet life, which was what it was like for, for the rest of the year. Anyway, this young fellow, uh, Fabian Wishman, uh, came up with, a, I, th I think, a cracking idea, right? He said, what if we created a, a charity sort of uh, marathon walk, right, for all the uh, neo-Nazis who are going to march on this little town? And for every step they took, uh, we would, people would sponsor them and money would be raised for a, a, just a, a charity that helped people get out of uh, these neo-Nazi organisations. It was called Exit Deutschland was the name of the organisation. And uh, so on the day, on the 17th of August, 2014, uh, of course, all the neo-Nazis arrived, uh, assembled, uh, and they found all these banners, all this welcome to, you know, Wunsvedel. Uh, um, and as they walked as they got past certain distances, there would be on the on the road. It would be congratulations, you've just you've just earned five thousand euro for you know exit Deutschland, uh, and you know then ten thousand euro. And the, the uh, of course the uh, townspeople were cheering them on as they as they went along. They even had you know energy drinks and food on the side to keep them going uh, to get to the end. <laughs> so you can imagine uh, to me this was sort of like a, a, a charity jujitsu move i thought uh, it was just uh fabulous and you know you can go and have a look you'll find um find some youtube videos of them marching and things like that you've never seen a glummer group of of people you know doing their march well, we should um, put those videos links uh, yeah well we'll do that and because i think you know it's just hilarious watching this and of course um I believe, and I, I must admit, I haven't really got specific detail yet, but I, I believe the following years, you know, this, this, this idea diminished somewhat in that, uh, in that town. I don't know if they got rid of it altogether. What, you mean like I, the number of people who were marching in? Uh, and, and, um, yeah, that's right. But the, I think the, the main thing they did, which was <laughs> made a lot of sense, is they actually moved Rudolf Hess's body somewhere else. Um, I don't know where, but they took a... They exhumed him from his uh, resting place and, and took him somewhere else. So, yeah, so there you go. I think, you know, to me, let's, let's have a chat about this, right? Let's have a chat. What, what do you think? What, what is it about this story that you like? And then we'll get into what could make it even better. Oh, the first thing I liked is it made me laugh out loud. A good little <laughs> belly laugh, right? So it's always a good sign. I just picture these, you know, the, the protesters, the neo-Nazis, Arriving and being so surprised that these big banners, welcome to Bonsetto, <laughs> <laughs> come and have some fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, raise money and and uh, uh, I mean, I'm I'm imagining like most marathons, you've got people kind of lining the streets. Did they have that? They had some. I, I would say it's a little dangerous for them to be lining the streets, right? Yeah. And and so, the, but there were you know small groups of probably the, the braver souls of that little town, uh, you know, went out there and, and cheered them on. But mostly it was banners and, and these writings on the, uh, on the road that sort of congratulated them for getting certain distances. And then, of course, when they got to the end, it was like a big congratulatory uh, sign at the end, et cetera. So uh, they, were the main, they were the main indicators. But I thought, what a great idea. Like, rather than fight it, 
go the other way. It's almost yeah. like you're sitting there, you know, you know how sometimes you've got those intractable problems and, and, and you try to come up with the rational solution. Yep. And, and it's almost like you get an Edward de Bono a little bit, you know, and sort of go, okay, if that's the normal way of doing it, what would happen if you flipped it 180, right? Yep. And sort of try to tackle it from that perspective. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, so, yeah, the surprise element, I think, is one of the great things about that, isn't it? Yeah. Just the, the imagery, you know, in my mind of them turning up and the surprise. And, of course, the fact that, it was a surprise that they would decide to do that that caused me to laugh. So yeah, that 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 little um, uh, 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 flicking this, sorry, flipping the script. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a bit of a flip the script, wasn't it? Yeah. It yeah. reminds me of a you you told a story a while ago about uh, a, 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 a an army officer, a U.S. army officer in Iraq. Oh yeah, yeah, that was another one. Um, the you know they would have the big protests in the middle of the town square and you know the and and all he did was he asked the mayor that when these groups started to form that they got rid of all the food carts yes that's and, right and people kind of got hungry and went home yeah anyway so I, I i love that as a way as you say it's like a, a an edward de bono way mm. of thinking about a completely different way of solving the problem yeah, one of the ones I remember from Edward de Bono was he was uh, he was asked to uh, tackle help tackle this problem where there was a uh, an industrial plant on a river and the you know they were putting effluent out into you know like pollution out into the river blah blah yeah. blah mm-hmm. so and and like everyone's going well what do we do what do we do and and de Bono said very simply he just said. You know, the way it works is, you know, the water flows down the river, there's an intake, goes in the factory, does the thing, then the polluted water is pumped back out downstream. All you do is you reverse that process and they, the water flows past the factory and then they pump it in and the, the, the outflow goes out upstream. And so oh, they use their own polluted water and they quickly found a way to solve it. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. You know, that's good. It just takes sometimes a small change of thinking in some ways. Get the incentives right. Yeah. So, what do you reckon? Well, yeah, go ahead. Um, some of the things that um, I guess I would like to know more about more about that story. Yeah. Is yeah. What questions do you have? Yeah. So for, the first one is like Rudolf Hess. So yeah. why Rudolf Hess? Okay. There were many famous Nazis. Um, why not Hitler's birthday? Why not? Goering or Goebbels or whatever, and and so uh, I've kind of got an idea, but I would imagine that many listeners would be going, "Well, what, what's so special about Hess?" Yes, yeah, right, exactly. And you know, uh, I think part of it is because, uh, unlike many of the other, um, you know, sort of Nazis, uh, who would have thought we would have said the word Nazi so many times in an episode? Um, but. Unlike the other ones, you know, he had his body buried in that town, right? And I think that was the attractor for uh, for these these folk to, to to march there. So I think that was part of it. I mean, he was one of those upper echelon people in oh, yeah. you know you know the Third Reich. But um, and I don't even couldn't even tell you what role he played. Do you have any idea? Oh, I'd, I'd be guessing. You'd be guessing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like head of the SS sticks in my mind but that's just a guess yeah we'll put that one in the show notes as that's well. right we'll actually answer that um 
yeah, so I mean, I guess in there, there, what other questions uh, were in your mind? So well, of course, the, the one that you highlighted is that what long-term effect does it have? Yeah, see, I went looking around for this because I'd heard the story in um, in Humankind, right? That book by um, what's his name? Um, Bregner. Yeah, Bregman. That's right, Rutger Bregman, yeah. and um, and he doesn't really tell you at the end what happens. So I go looking around the internet, and there's no real like. I think it was just first reported in the Guardian, and and everyone kind of stops at the event. They don't sort of say, "Hey, what happened the next year?" I mean, what I'd love to be able to say is then from then on there were no more marches. I mean, that yeah. would be great, but who knows? Who knows? Well, look, it, it is. A sign of a good story when people want to know what happened. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? So, so that's a that's a, a good sign, but it's an important part of this story that that we know is missing. But you know, it, it kind of indicates that the bit that you told is a really good story because it does certainly mm. uh, triggers that question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what about then? Um, what could we do to make this story? you know, to improve this story? I mean, apart from that little point that we made there, is there anything else that, um, you know, for example, do I need to, uh, you know, sort of give a bit more thumb, you know, sort of a, a sketch of, of Fabian Wishman, who was the guy who um, yeah, came up with the idea? Um, you know, because I've seen pictures of him. I, I see that he's sort of uh, involved in, in other charities and, you know, he's really doubled down on, you know, this whole, exit Deutschland, et cetera. So, you know, he's still involved in that as far as I can tell. Um, yeah, that, that would have, I would think a little bit about Fabian would be good. Yeah. What I really think could add a lot of impact to this is just amplifying the problem a bit more. Yeah, right. So mm, Interesting. How many, how many people, how many protesters are we talking about? How many yeah. days? You know, like the year before there was houses burned down and there was people beaten in the street. You know, like... The, Amplify, or I guess, make it clear what the what, what the, the problem was facing. Yeah, what's yeah. The obstacle. Yeah, yeah. It'd be good. It'd be great to know, like, how many years had they done it? Yeah, you know, I mean, they done it. Is this something that's been going on since you know the seventies, or is it something that just started up in the last five years? Right. All those sort of things uh, would add to that story. Absolutely. And I guess you're it's, right. It's worth stopping here and just kind of pointing out to our listeners that our objective here is not to tell perfect stories. It's to tell stories and in the process of doing it and kind of talking about how they work, uh, we all learn. And so that's sure we could have done hours and hours of research and answered these questions. But our objective is to kind of to learn about what are the things that make that work? What are the things that are missing? Actually, just on that, I've been thinking about this idea of, uh, you know, I've talked to you about this idea of story acquisition, Right, and and the metaphor I'm using at the moment to get a sense of what this looks like is is that you need to develop the taste for stories, just like you develop the taste for wine. Um, you develop the taste for story. Anyway, so I was thought to myself, oh, I should learn a bit of wine appreciation. What a great excuse, right? <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Like today, I I was talking to my brother, who's in the wine industry in the US, and he's and I said to him, how do I go about this? You know, like wine appreciation he said well you know there's a couple of books to read but he said sean quite frankly you just got to drink wine but not just quaff it you've got to slow yourself down and you know really 
you know, what's this, you know, what's the smell, what's the, the color, what's the, you know, the taste, all those sort of things. Um, and, but then it got, I got myself thinking is that, you know, there's a next level that happens with wine because if you're sort of saying that this has a cherry flavor, well, you got to actually know what a flavor of a cherry is, you know, or this has. So, so now you've got to go and investigate that. And I don't know, I think story t- uh, learning stories are a bit the same. Us going back and forwards and just peeling it back and going, oh, but what about this? And how about that? And this just helps us learn this story, right? Yeah. And, and it makes us appreciate this story. Uh, in one way or another. And back in, I think, 2019, I did a wine appreciation course. And it was it was really interesting, really enlightening. And by being talked through the process of appreciating the wines, I really started to go, oh. Is that and so the, the, the training the, the, that was undertaken was really, really interesting. And for a little while, I would open a bottle of wine and I'd, I'd actually give myself blind tasting tests. You know, I'd open two bottles of wine and pour a couple of glasses and then, you know, oh, that's a, that's a Breezling and oh, there's a Pinot, Pinot Gris. That's a Riesling. That's a red wine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I stopped. Like I, I did not continue with that process and I quickly lost it. Yeah. So, so I think this, this is the same thing with story. You know, it's, you need to kind of have your head in the game and and appreciate it enjoy it you know like you would enjoy a wine yeah you're right it's the practice element as we talk about right yeah yeah that's that's a really that's a good analogy um cool okay anything else we need to do to uh, talk about things that would improve this story mate no i think we should move on to business applications how will we use this in a business Mm, yeah and for me uh it's it's almost in the category of one of my favorite categories of all time, which is little things that make a big difference. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but it is actually, it's not quite a little thing. You know, it's a, it's a, a it would have taken quite a bit of organization to make that happen. So yeah. you know, maybe, maybe little things can make a big difference. I would, I would go maybe the, the next step. So pick that idea and sort of, if you had a situation at work where there was a behavior that was causing pain, Right. And you and everyone's going, we've got to stop. How do we stop that behavior happening? Um, this story might actually just give a, a, an insight into one potential way. It might just trigger a new way of thinking about that problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking about uh, interdivisional inter conflict, uh, you know, interdepartmental, inter uh, you know, silos, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and uh, one memory I have uh, from years ago when I was in the Air Force, um, I was at a unit in uh, on the outskirts of Sydney and one, it was actually within the one unit, there was one part of the unit and I went down and I was talking to them, I know a bunch of people down there and I was you know, doing some work down there and, oh, you know, those people in the headquarters, they, uh, yeah, we call them wombats, you know, they just, they, don't, they keep their head in the sand and, the, you know, the, anyway, they were talking very, in a very derogatory sense about them oh they never ask us anything never try and understand what we're doing and blah 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 and i said hmm maybe just ask the question whose responsibility is it to make sure that they understand your job is it theirs or is it yours and if you say it's yours then you're going to be spending a lot more time up there talking to them instead of down here 
anyway, they did that and it completely changed the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Just one small change like that. Yep. A question. Just, just and, and, and the question, and just flipping the script again. Yep. Whose responsibility is it that they understand your world? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, off you go then. <laughs> off you go. Get up there. Have a yeah. chat. Oh, they don't yeah. So I think so that I think that's probably the main category, isn't it? It's sort of like when you're trying to change behavior, trying to solve some problem and it it's not being solved by the standard methods. And you need some inspiration, maybe. Yeah. So and in some insight. Um, so that's that would be a good one to tell. From a complexity perspective, it's a really complex problem that uh, uh, the behavior problem of the crowds turning up and what do you do about it and 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 trying to have rules like that yeah that's almost bound to fail but by creating a different pattern you know the pattern being well you can do what you do that's fine but you're just going to be raising money for stuff for us to get people out of your organization and we're going to make you feel welcome right yeah See, I wonder whether we can, they can use this sort of thinking. So in, at the moment here in Melbourne, we've got some um, protests happening um, around uh, people who don't want to be locked down, you know, as part of the, the COVID-19 response. And and maybe they need to take some, you know, an approach like this where they, you know, sort of go, yeah, come along. For every step they take, you know, there's money being put into, you know, sort of combating anti-vaxxers or something like that. I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, as I say that, I'm thinking the people go, oh, this is fantastic. We're getting support for this. So yeah. <laughs> it may not work in all situations, right? Yeah, so they have to... <clears throat> we can't concatenate people who are protesting lockdown with people who are anti-vaxxers. They're not necessarily a homogenous group. No, so. no, but it might be some Zen, you know, a Venn diagram element yeah. there. Okay, good. So let's give this a rating, Mark. What do well, you reckon? Look, I'm, I think it's a fabulous little story. And as I say, it made me laugh out loud. And I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Wow. 0.5 on the seven. Yeah, I'll Excellent. Right back into a 0.5 because <laughs> I didn't want my first one back to be <clears> so. the straight seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think for me, it's a, it's, it's a seven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's you know it's a good story. You know, I might tell it, I might not. You never know, um, depending on the situation. It's in my story bank, so that's a, that's a good starting point. Um, so that's that's fantastic, and, and fantastic. Me, the key takeaway that I take from that story is that the way to amplify the effectiveness of it and have an impact is to just have more understanding of the obstacle. What was the problem? Yeah, and I think that would really amp it up. Yeah. It sort of creates more drama that way. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's it, Mark. Welcome back. It's great it's to have great. you back. It's great to be back. And uh, there's lots of things going on in Anecdote at the moment. If you want to check out events, just go to our uh, events page on the on the website. Uh, we, I think we're running a, a story-powered data program, a, a public one. Uh, we're doing... Uh, a whole thing on our, you know, storytelling for leaders. There's story-powered sales uh, events going on. Lots, lots of different things happening. So check that out and uh, be great to see you there. But in the meantime, yeah, just a big thanks for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. And of course, tune in next week for another episode on how to put your stories to work. Bye for now.
Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from Author to Audio.